May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord my God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. A family member asked me this week whether I ever wondered whether this whole Christianity thing was true. And it's been 2,000 years since the angels proclaimed peace on earth. There's not a lot of peace. 2,000 years since Christ is born, and it's not exactly clear what this has done for the world. Not as much fundamentally changed in the human lot. How do we really know that this is true? And I I understand this feeling, especially actually during Christmas. I wonder sometimes when I watch all the the trappings and festivities of the Christmas season go on, which are quite unaffected by the truth or belief in the truth of any of the Christmas message. And I wonder, well, whether, whether it really matters. Is it really true? How do we know that Christ is born when we look around? Christmas, in a way, can feel a little bit, well, like I'm a stranger in it. Advent, on the other hand, I feel at home in. It's easier for me to talk about anticipation. It makes sense to me. I I look around, and it looks to me like the world is, well, not yet what it ought to be. Advent is fundamentally a season of absence, a prolonged meditation on something that is not yet here, but we believe will be. And that fits the way the world looks to me, so I feel at home in it. But, so it's easier for me to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, than it is to sing, Joy to the World. Because I see a lot of things that don't make me joyful. Christmas focuses us on the, the presence of Christ in the story. And we call it, well, the presence because, well, he's actually there. God has come. Emmanuel, God is with us. And so at Christmas, we actually do these things called presents, in which we present something real and actual to one another, something that is there, and we offer them as gifts. Thus, Christmas as a a season, as a whole, it focuses us on what's here and now, what is present. So to put it another way, Advent is a season of faith, a season of longing, whereas Christmas is a season of sight and of rejoicing. The shepherds see a sign, baby in a manger. Simeon and Anna hold and see the Christ child. The Magi see a star. And so it's natural that in the midst of talking about all that sight, that we look around and say, well, where do we see Jesus? He's not immediately present to our eyes or our arms. We can't go to Bethlehem and see him. We can't bring him gifts of gold and myrrh. We can't hold him in our arms like Simeon and Anna. So while we might find a common spirit with Advent, at least I do, I look around and I see Christmas and I think, well, I'm kind of a stranger here. And I wonder whether it's true. It's kind of like if you had a relative who who once, a long time ago, a distant, distant relative, received a whole, an amazing sum of money. And every year they talk about this amazing gift they received. And you think, well, that was great for them. I'd kind of like some of that now. Uh, It would be a little bit more helpful. So that's why it's good, I think, that the lectionary assigns for us the first Christmas Sunday to reflect on Simeon and Anna. They are Christmas figures, and we can find something in common with them, even as we reflect on what they saw and we didn't. I think they're very helpful companions to guide us more deeply into the actual spirit of Christmas. Because Luke presents Simeon and Anna as God's faithful people, as a waiting people. Now, neither Simeon 
nor Anna have any official positions in the temple structure at Jerusalem, as we know. Simeon is simply a righteous and devout man in Jerusalem. Anna is a prophetess, an elderly widow who's dwelt in the temple, but only in the courtyard where women are allowed for decades and decades. So when Luke enters them on the scene, he specifies one aspect of both of them. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Anna, after she sees the Christ, goes and speaks to all she knows are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And Luke uses this word, prosdecamai, which isn't just like waiting around for something to happen. It's, It's eagerly looking to welcome something, such as when you have family coming, you are waiting for them because you want them to actually come in your house. You're, you're anticipating them, we might say. Luke will use this word later with Joseph of Arimathea, who, who takes the body of Jesus and buries it. He is waiting for the kingdom of God. So Simeon and Anna are not just individuals. They are representatives of Israel at its best. God's people, Israel, who are actually waiting for God still. Who are waiting for God to finish what he started with Israel, to complete the promises to send the Messiah and console his people. The men and the women who have heard the promise and therefore dwell in anticipation. So far, so good. They sound like Advent people, right? We're we're used to them. But we don't read about Simeon and Anna in Advent because their significance isn't first and foremost in their waiting. It's in their praise and their prophesying. In the gospel lesson that Luke gives us, both Simeon and Anna do the same thing when they see Jesus. They first praise God and then they prophesy to other people. Both of the reactions are the same. You can see this in Simeon's reaction. He takes the child in his arm and he blesses God with a prayer, which we come to sing in our liturgy called the Nunc Dimittis from the Latin, Now let your servant depart in peace. And this is a beautiful prayer, rich with Old Testament theology, that Simeon offers up as a blessing to God. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Because God had promised him he'd see the Messiah before he died. Just as you promised, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, the light to reveal you to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He sees Jesus, and more significantly in seeing this little baby, he sees God's finishing what he started. He's keeping the promises he made. He is going to glorify Israel, and through Israel's glory, through this child, gather the nations. Anna, too, when she comes up and sees Jesus, she began to give thanks to God. Now, Luke doesn't give us her exact words. It's probable that he just couldn't find them, any witnesses who remembered them. But he says she began to give thanks to God, and then she goes and begins to prophesy to other people and tell them about these wonderful things that God has done. And so Simeon, too, prophesies. He turns not to just anyone in general, but to Mary, and he gives her a rather haunting prophecy saying that this child would be opposed. This Messiah that he was long awaited, he recognizes he will not be received well. And she would suffer too. Her own heart would be pierced. Her own life would be pierced. And the secret heart thoughts of many would be exposed, but he would ultimately be appointed for the falling and rising of many. So we got Simeon and Anna represented as God's waiting people, but also as God's praising and prophesying people. And so some of you are saying, okay, well, that's why they're at Christmas. They're not really like us. They saw the promise fulfilled so they could praise and prophesy. Simeon said, my own eyes have seen. So they're Christmas people. They're not like us. I mean, none of you have held the baby Jesus. 
You weren't told specifically by the Spirit that God would let you see the Messiah with your eyes. They got to see, so how can they be guides to us who didn't get to see? Well, let me just ask you to reflect for a second on what exactly they saw. Did they see Jesus giving blind people their sight? Did they see Jesus telling lame people to get up and walk and watching it happen? Did they see him cast out demons or calm storms? Did they hear him teach with the authority of Moses greater than the law as no one had spoke before? Did they hear him forgive sins? Did they see him shining on the Mount of Transfiguration? Did they see him walk on water or be raised from the dead? Did they see any of those things that would later convince people to trust Jesus, that he was the Son of God? No. They saw a baby. Not a royal baby decked in pomp. Not a glowing magical baby with a halo. It was not a Galilean jack-jack. It was just a baby in a diaper whose parents couldn't even afford the proper sacrifice. And even in holding that infant Jesus, they had to trust that he was the one God promised. They didn't get to see what it looked like. This year for Christmas, I gave my wife tickets to a play. Not real tickets. Gave her an envelope with a piece of paper that said I had bought tickets. It was a present, but it was also an absence. It was a promise that a play was coming and that we would be welcome, but it was not actual proof. It was assurance of something soon to be, a now that is also a not yet. A gift that called forth anticipation and joy, but also faith. It promised sight, but required faith. This is the kind of present Simeon and Anna got when they saw the infant Jesus. In him, they saw the thatness of God's salvation, but not the how. They got to see no miracles, no crucifixion, no resurrection. They got to see that God was acting now, but not in a way that removed the not yet. There'd be 30 years before anything would happen. They beheld the long-awaited consolation of Israel, but only as a child, as a life yet to be lived, as a king waiting to be crowned, as a redeemer who needed to be redeemed according to the law of Moses with the sacrifice of two young pigeons. And that means, brothers and sisters, that Simeon and Anna saw no more and no less than you and I get to see. Sure, they got to see a literal Jesus. But that infant proved nothing. Even though he, even he was something that many people could find reason to doubt. They saw Jesus in a way that still required faith, just like you. Faith in what God would do through him, but had not yet done. So even as they beheld him and held him in, his arm, in their arms, they had to walk by faith, not by sight. Just like you. Because you actually do get to see Jesus in some form. Not as a baby, but as a body. As a community of people who believed that Jesus raised from the dead, that he identified himself with. And when you look around and see this body and think, well, that certainly requires a lot of faith, so does a baby, a poor peasant baby. He is audible to you, not in Aramaic, not in the whimpering cries of an infant, but in his scriptures and in preaching and in the forgiveness of sins. You actually do get to take him in your arms in the form of a little bread and wine, but not in diapers. So how do you know any of this? You know it in the same way that Simeon and Anna knew, by faith. 
You believe that God has done those great things in the Exodus, the return from exile, and the birth of the Messiah. But you celebrate, even in those gifts, that they are promises, presence of what will be and is now absent, but will not always be, as pointers to a greater and mightier day whose seed they contain. And so when we come down from the altar after communion and we sing the song of Simeon, we don't sing it remembering Simeon and Anna who once saw Jesus. We sing it as people who have been given the same thing, a presence that is a promise, a gift that is a preview, not simply as something we recall, but something we have and something that enables us to wait, to praise, and to prophesy. So we can go down from this altar out into the world. We can live in this Christmas season and sing joy to the world without denying the reality that it's not finished yet and go back to our lives as God's waiting, faithful people, praising him, proclaiming the consolation and redemption of Israel that began in Jesus and will be complete on the day of his return. For God has acted to redeem his people, and that includes you and every man and woman on earth who need our waiting, who need our praise, and who need our prophesying. So go in peace and Merry Christmas. Amen.